Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, uh, highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, my name's Bill, and I'd like to welcome Kestrel and Kate to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Um, as members of Alcoholics Anonymous, they're going to share their journey of recovery from active alcoholism with the help of AA and AA members. Um, so we usually start off talking about what it's like growing up and family life and how we got involved with, with alcohol. So, um, Kestrel, what was life like for you as a child? It was pretty good. I, um, there was a lot of love in my family, but it was also quite dysfunctional. Um, my dad was an alcoholic. Okay, yeah. And uh, I just remember there being a lot of um, difficult times in the house, and I think that's why I chose to, you know... Escape reality. Okay, yes. Um, uh, what about your mum? How was she coping with your dad? They fought a lot and um, in the end I think it was the alcohol that was the reason for their marriage ending. Okay, yeah. And did you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I had a brother who was quite a difficult, difficult person. He had a lot of behavioural issues and my mum tried to deal with them on her own um, so, yeah, there was just a lot of sort of aggression in the household and difficulties. Okay. Um, and Kate, what was, what was family life like for you? It was absolutely crazy. Um, we were either um, laughing or crying. There was arguing or there was the joy of the initial inebriation of my mother drinking and my father drinking and then um, the proverbial hit the fan and then they'd be, yeah, not happy. Um, our dinners would always, um, oh, my dad would come home and mum would be drinking and then nine o'clock would come and then my poor dad would go, where's my bloody dinner? And mum hadn't even started at her fully fledged alcoholism. That was the prime thing. So we had often food would be flung around the house until the day we moved. There was still items that were transfixed, especially by butter on various places. Okay. <laughs> Sounds interesting. <laughs> Uh, so growing up, uh, you know, you're in a crazy situation at home. You know, living with an alcoholic is is not a not a normal environment. But uh, did you fit in at school? No, I didn't. Um, you know, especially later on, it was I always wanted to be in with the popular crowd, and I never quite made it. So I was in with the rebels. Um, I've got a photo of me in actually in prep where I look very resentful. So resentments on people was, yeah, I think I was born with a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, sometimes growing up in an alcoholic home, you feel like life's against you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I think that yeah. sort of colours your outlook a lot. It's confusing. That yeah. safety, um, yeah. the security. Um, I've grown up and it's always haunted me has been the insecurity. Yeah, okay. Um, so, Kestrel, when did you get attracted to alcohol? I think before I actually had that first real drink, yeah. I um, 
was always fascinated by it. I saw, for some reason, I focused on the good parts of the alcohol that I saw. In the family. In the yeah. family. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of ignored all the negative effects of it. And to me, I thought there's just good times to be had. You have a drink, you start dancing, you have a good time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess as a child, you'd, it would appear that way. Yeah. Not not knowing how alcoholism and and how alcohol really works. Yeah. 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 Um. So, when did you, you know, what 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 was the the start of your drinking, and and how did you feel about it? I was very keen to start drinking. I couldn't wait. I when I first met my friend, um, my first best friend in high school. Um, I was absolutely ecstatic that she wanted to drink too and uh, we got stuck into her dad's bottle of Jim Beam. Right. And, uh, you know, it was just a crazy night and um, I drank way too much. I blacked out and I feel like after that night, you know, it was all I wanted to do. Okay, yeah. It was all about that next drink. Let's (laughs) get it on. (laughs) Which is um, unusual for a twelve-year-old. You know, most people wouldn't sort of relate to that. But once you get the taste of alcohol, it's very hard to break. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so obviously, you know, twelve-year-old, you're sort of about to go into high school. So did that affect your schooling, drinking? I think um, it did towards the end of high school. Um, I remember teachers trying to encourage me to have a break between year eleven and year twelve because, you know, my behaviour was, it was a bit out of control and I was hanging out with, you know, crazy people and I think they saw that I had some potential but they thought I needed to have a break and try again and I didn't want to do that because I didn't think I would come back. So I just sort of just got through it, bare minimum. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what about your friends? Did they succeed as well? Um, a bit <laughs> of, uh, yes and no, probably mostly no. I tended to hang around with people that didn't really do that well at school. Um, I was just a party girl. It was all about the party for me. Yeah. Um, just in love with the craziness of that lifestyle and, you know, where it took me and the places that I went. Okay. So school was, was school a haven for you? In- I think I loved the socialising part of it. Yeah. And um, it was a good place to sort of meet and make plans to Go and, yeah. (laughs) Go and drink. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Um, So um, with you, Kate, um, if you you felt different, but did you find in your, you know, your social scene that uh, you you had friends, you had people who felt like you, or did you still feel really quite isolated? Um, My mum after, yeah, she... She put both of myself and my brother into athletics and that postponed my first lot of alcohol. So we were virtually, um, we had to train five days a week and compete on the sixth. So we only had one day off and on that one day off we couldn't do much because it could spoil us for competing. So we were there. I felt that my mum lived through what we could accomplish through our athletics. So I didn't get to really have time. I've got no recollection of even having time to think back then. Besides, I was pretty unhappy. Okay. So did you lose yourself in anything? I love music. I've always loved music. Yeah. Yeah. That was when Kate met Kate. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
And so as a loner then, did so did you listen to music alone? I listened to music alone. Yeah. I um, actually, when I turned 18, I bought a surfboard and I met, I was going out with someone and I surfed and that was a very alone sport as well. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think you said your brother had a drinking problem. So did his drinking influence you? I, I was so, to watch my brother actually sculling um, port for breakfast and he'd, you know, he'd be having grass and everything. Um, it was pretty sad to watch. So I think it, ideally it put me off wanting to even touch the stuff. Um, I always wanted to be different to what my family was. To be non-alcoholic. Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of alcoholics who have that feeling. Yeah. Uh, so um, you said your brother also was a drug user? Yes, as, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He, um, you know, I remember watching Sherlock Holmes and, you know, I'd turn around and he'd be injecting himself with heroin and, um, you know, I'd be bring flowers to put in the vase and there'd be syringes all over the place. So he was seldom, you know, always... Um, he was always stoned or drunk or he talked about sobriety at different times and um, he went into rehab at different times, but he didn't make it. He died at 47. Okay, right. Uh, so your introduction to alcohol then, when did you get your first taste, real taste of alcohol? Really, I think it was about 16, my girlfriend and I, and I could have, you know, there was no plan. We just... Um, her parents went out and we just drank spirits, heaps of spirits, and I must have had too much because I vomited the 24 hours afterwards. <laughs> right. I was not well, and my girlfriend's <laughs> mum um, had realised what happened and she told my mum on the phone that I had really bad gastro, so um, she covered it up. But I loved the effect. It shut my head down. It filled that hole in my soul. It stopped my thinking, and I felt completely different. And I've got a actual diary from school that I found a few years ago and it's got a champagne wrapper and it's got on it um, my way to success. So I knew that I felt different and I knew that with alcohol um, I could I was invincible when I first had it and I could say anything and that shyness and that aloneness left. Okay, right. Um, so Kestrel, um, once you started drinking... Um and you sort of enjoyed the the party thing. So when you left school, did that continue? Yes, it just became so normal to drink all the time. Yep. And once I had the money to afford to be able to buy as much as I, I wanted, um, yeah, it very quickly became most days until it was practically every day. Okay. Which, so- was, which seemed fine when I was young because I could just bounce back. You know, I felt like a lot of people I knew were always needing a break and they would just party like on the weekends, but I just couldn't do that. I had to do it all the time, every day. Yep. And so you found enough people to do that with? (laughs) (laughs) There's no shortage of people out there that want to drink. Okay. (laughs) Right. Um, Did you find that affected your work? It did. It started to... um, I was never very reliable, reliable at the workplace. You know, I had always pushing my luck with days off and... uh, you know, just struggling, but, you know, towards towards the end of my drinking, you know, I couldn't work at all. Okay. So you worked to drink and then you couldn't... That's right. <laughs> I needed work. to work so I could drink. Yeah. And then, you know, life just became so hard. You know, initially the drinking, like I really related to, 
I'm Kate. sorry, what's your name? Kate. Kate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just made everything so much better initially. You know, it made me feel better. It made everyone else around me seem better. And life was easy. It made life easy. And then it got a little bit tricky. And then things got more and more difficult. And then towards the end, life was impossible. Okay. Um, so was your parents concerned? Was your mum concerned about the way you were drinking? She was. I remember one time I was in my early 20s and uh, she was just so disappointed. She said to me, I would love it if just one day in the week I could have a sober conversation with you. And I remember the look in her eyes and, uh, you know, it was out of my control and I didn't know that. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's sad, isn't it, when you look back and realise the lost opportunities and, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, also, we might just um, play a community service announcement for you. Just uh, here's one. It's um, there's a thing called how to how to make trouble diary, and they're having a launch. Join us for the launch of the 2019 How to Make Trouble and Influence People Diary on Saturday, the 6th of October, from 3 to 6 p.m. at the Old Bar, Johnson Street, Fitzroy. There'll be readings as well as music from Cold Hands, Warm Heart and Laura McFarlane. Entries free. Proceeds from the diary sales and 20% of the afternoon's bar takings will be donated to 3CR and the Rainforest Information Centre. So come read, drink and be merry. How to Make Trouble and Influence People Diary launch. The Old Bar, Saturday, 6th of October, 3 to 6 p.m. See you there. 3CR supporter. Uh, you're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, we've got um, about 50 episodes of our show available as a podcast. Uh, you can get that on 3cr.org.au forward slash living free and also on iTunes. Um, if you want to contact us, then you can either call 3CR on 94198377 or you can send us an email at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter, uh, 3CR Living Free. Um, I'm talking with Kate and Kestrel and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism. Um, and we're sort of up to the point in um, Kestrel's story where you've sort of life's becoming a bit difficult um, with drinking. Um, so, what are the what are the issues? What what was the point when alcohol started to become a problem in your life? I think there was definitely a lot of problems, even probably from the start. Yeah, <laughs> but um, there were still so many good times that. Um, you know, for a long time, the consequences just didn't seem to to matter. You know, yeah. it was still worth it. Yeah. Um, but for me, the alarm bells definitely went off when um when I couldn't work anymore. Yes. Okay. So, what did that mean for you in in real terms? Well, it meant I couldn't drink like I wanted to. Okay. <laughs> Disaster. <laughs> Disaster. But uh, um, you know, just demoralisation. You know, not having any hope for the future. Um. I mentally and physically was just so broken from all the the lifestyle just really caught up with me. Yeah. So did you experience sort of panic attacks and and things like that that meant that you were sort of overcome? Yeah. yeah. When I look back at those last uh, two years when I was still able to work, it was just terrible. I was sweating and panicky just the whole time. 
you know, it was so so terribly difficult. Um, so you were you worried about the way you were or were you just sort of overwhelmed by the experience of not being able to cope? I think it was happening very slowly for a long time and I was just getting used to it. You know, it was just getting worse and worse so yeah. gradually and I was just getting used to it as it, as it went down. But once it really, really got bad, you know, I just was full of a lot of fear and okay. despair. Yeah. So life was getting hard. Very hard. It was hard to have enough money to buy the alcohol that you needed to, <laughs> to treat you. <laughs> um, so how did you how did you cope? I didn't really. I um, you know, the alcohol stopped working as well. Like, you know, I'd get that wine in the morning and go home to drink it, and I wasn't getting the relief that I used to get from alcohol. It was just bringing more fear into my into my head and yeah it was it was game over and i didn't know it i didn't know it yet okay right mm. um kate um back to you so it using alcohol more regularly when you worked must have affected your work it was um it certainly did i was determined and thought i mean i was in denial that i could pull the wool over everybody's eyes and mm. Uh, people were saying to me, you're shaking, and I'd say, oh, I've had too much coffee. Um, somebody <laughs> else said to me, oh, we know somebody who was an alcoholic, and they stopped drinking, and they became a fantastic athlete. Uh, but they'd say that three days in a row, yeah. and I just completely denied that as well. Um, it was, <laughs> um, yeah, definitely the meat pies for morning tea. Uh, people would say, how can you eat that? And I I had to have that because I virtually came to work with a hangover and I heard them talking one day. They said, oh, so-and-so drinks a bottle of wine a day and I'm thinking to myself, if they knew how much I drank, they'd be horrified. <laughs> um, again, denial because it got to the stage that when I spoke with people at work, they actually walked a step backwards because I knew in the end, that my breath stunk. Mm. And by that stage, I was getting alcoholic diarrhoea as well. And my underarms stunk just like my brothers used to. So it felt and it smelt and I was in denial. It was like my body was rotting away before me. Mm. Um, and I was starting to get physical problems as well with my muscle muscles as well at work. Um, I was finding it hard to physically do the manual um, labour that I had to do. Okay. So uh, were you married at the time? Yes, I was, yeah. yes. And children? I had two. Okay. So that must have been really difficult. It was. and um, Working with children and having yeah. a drinking problem. Well, I I used to get the, the terrors at 3am and I'd have to drink then. I'd um, drag myself up and take the kids to school. Thankfully, it was only just down the road. And um, then I'd come back to bed again. And it was a horrific way to live, absolutely horrific. And I used to get these, um, especially early on, and I'd be having horrendous headaches and vomiting, and I'd tell the kids that I had migraines. And I used to have this vein that used to pulsate, and my daughter used to rub it and go, oh, poor mum, poor mum. So I was lying on all the time because I just yeah. had a hangover. Yeah. Um, when the kids were young, they had this noisy toy and I gave it away. <laughs> and they even, I think it was about 
yeah, three years ago, my daughter said, why did you give that toy away? You know, it was because it was too, it went ping and bang and it was too much for my hangover. <sighs> okay. Um, so having, having kids um, means that it's very difficult to hide your, hide your drinking mm, or the effects yeah. of it. So um, we were talking earlier off air about a kid's story that you had about putting the kids in the car. So do you want to tell us the, the kids in the car story? Yeah, I was um, – yeah, I had something that I was taking the kids to that I was organising and I put the kids in the car and then I said, oh, I'm just going to the loo and I came back and I shut the door and I just felt so – like the emotions, I just screamed into the pillow and um, screamed and screamed and then I was just so angry and I got the telephone. It was the old handle telephone then and I slammed it and actually broke the telephone and took, took a deep breath, went out to the kids and put on my outside for the world to see smiling face and my daughter actually leaned over to me and she put a hand on me and she said, don't worry, Mummy, we'll take you to the doctor and, you, you know, he'll make you better. So I thought I had got away with it then, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's very hard to very hard to fill the kids. Um, uh, so, Kestrel, you're, you're in a situation where nothing's working, you're at home, you don't have a job, Life's really difficult. So what happens? I have a cousin, thank God, she's my angel, um, who saw that I had a problem about, I don't know, six months before it got to this point. She um, mentioned rehab to me. And I got very offended by her just even suggesting it. I thought... How dare she? How dare she? (laughs) (laughs) She doesn't, you know, she doesn't understand. She's gotten the whole wrong impression, you know. And, you know, she lives in England and... I only saw her on holidays, so in my head I was like, well, she only sees me on holidays when I'm really going hard, you know, it's not yeah. that bad. But, yeah, she really knew what was happening. She knew it, she could see it better than I could. And uh, so when it got to that point where I was, you know, when I was out of options and I was scared of living the way I was living anymore, um, you know, I reached out to her and thank God she was there for me. Okay. Yeah. So did, did that mean that you had to travel to England? I did, yeah. Okay. She um she wanted me to go to this rehab that she knew of in Scotland. And, you know, I was so scared to go, you know. I nearly didn't go. I, I just can't believe that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that anyone could help me. I just couldn't for the life of me imagine what anyone could say or do that would ever stop me from drinking. Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? It's, it's that hopeless attitude where you don't believe, because you can't do it yourself, you don't believe it's possible. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what the program does, is it gives you hope that something can happen. Yes, yeah. it does, yeah. yeah. I hadn't met a recovering alcoholic before that. Okay. I think I'd maybe heard of them on TV, but yes. that, no, that's not the same thing. No, no, not at all. So, and again, you know, going to Scotland, it must have been hard with the language, language barrier. <laughs> Not really. My mum was Scottish. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that would help for sure. Um, So what was it like in rehab then initially? Well, initially it was terrifying and uh, because I wasn't going to be able to drink and that the thought of not being able to get a drink when I needed one absolutely terrified me because, you know, I needed alcohol. But, um, you know, it was so quickly just became like the most amazing experience. Um. You know, because I couldn't imagine what anyone could actually possibly do. 
you know, I just thought that they were just going to sort of lock me up and stop me drinking. And uh, it just wasn't like that at all. Right. You know, I got I got filled with hope. I got introduced to other recovering alcoholics. I got told about the solution. And I got hope and I got excited about a life, you know, that I could live. Yes. Uh, I, I think a lot of people don't realise that with alcoholism, if you don't stop drinking, it's, it's insanity, death or prison, I think are the three normal options. Yep. And a lot of us lose friends through drinking. So did you lose any? I definitely isolated. And I think that, you know, a lot of my friends had gone down that very sensible road in life and done what I hadn't done, which was to get married and have children. And so a lot of my friends weren't people that I saw every day. And, you know, I don't think a lot of them knew what was really going on. So I've actually kept a couple of my friends, which is very, very lucky. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, um, so Kate, um, the kids, uh, you know, you've got kids, you've got work, you're finding it difficult to work because of your deteriorating state. It must be pretty terrible to be not able to work and have a family, and I, I guess your family were dependent on you at that point, is that right? Um, well, at that stage they were in secondary school. My daughter, at the age of 14, um, she'd started to drift away anyway and um i actually taught my daughter how to drive and she yeah we were actually picked up because she was going over 40 in the school zone and if they'd done a breathalyzer on me so when she got a license she just ordered me out of the car and she said i don't want you in my life anymore um and my son was um yeah he didn't want to look at me anymore he was going through schooling and he just could not look at me in the eye. Uh, my daughter had found, because I thought I was really clever because I used to get my shadow cardboard boxes and squash them and put them under my mattress and every so often I'd go out at night and put them in a, somebody else's recycling bin. Yeah. And my daughter actually lifted up my mattress and presented me with eight of them. So that <laughs> must mean she was spying on me. And I I just used to drink directly from out of the box or put it in a big coffee cup. And she's, I remember she coming in one day and she was looking at me with so much shame on her face. Because uh, I used to drink alone in my room where nobody could see me because my mum's drinking brought up hurtful memories. And oh gosh, the whole thing is for me not to come out of my room. When I came out of my room, all could hell could break loose. Mm. I can remember um, trying to hit my husband over the head with a with a wooden stool. If I hadn't been so drunk, you know, I probably would have. I had so much anger in me, but of course, yeah. you know, I was so drunk. So, And I remember one day having a drinking out of a bottle and saying to my husband, why don't you stop me drinking? And he says, well, stop. And he took it out of my hand and I wouldn't let it go. I'm saying, no, no, I'm not ready. Um, yes, yeah, so that's so, how it was. So did he talk to you about your drinking? Never. No. Only when I brought it up. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right. Did he drink as well? Yes, he did, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's, it's often partners drink. I, I know what my mum used to do. My mum initially used to try and drink as much as my dad so he wouldn't have so much to drink, <laughs> which is pretty self-defeating. But she, she quickly gave up on that. Um huh. Yeah, so a difficult relationship then, you know, a difficult relationship with your kids and your husband. Yes. It must be very isolating. Oh, it was very isolating, yeah. and I did lose friends yeah. as well. And the, the whole thing is uh, I 
when I did go out, I go, I'm not going to drink. But I actually take grog with me just in case. And then somebody would start drinking and then all of a sudden, I don't know how it happened, I'd be getting out my wine and giving someone a glass and then I'd evaporate the rest. <laughs> and, you know, that was not my intention. My intention was, honestly, I wasn't going to drink because when I drank... I couldn't guarantee my behaviour and I lost friends because I became really noisy and giggling and inappropriate. What I came out with, you know, was it horrified people. Yes. Okay. Um, so did you suffer any withdrawal symptoms when you, if you did try to stop? Oh, yeah, I got the DTs and sweating. It was quite embarrassing. And, um, yeah, I can remember. It'll never leave me actually lying in bed and the shakes. Yeah, yep. never forget it. Right, okay. So, of course, you know, to stop it, I'd drink more. To stop the shakes, yeah. 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 Well, you had to. That's, I had to, yeah. yes. Um, yeah. So, in the end, your physical, it became a physical, physically debilitating. Yes, it did. At, and so, yeah. did you actually have to physically stop work at, at that point? Well, I'm, the thing is, I'm, I was so determined and so delusional that I was never, ever going to be an alcoholic. And as long as I had my work ID tag, I could do anything. And, um, yeah, the fact that my boss had introduced me to, um, she wanted me to go and see this clinic and they dealt with addicted people. And I even denied that. If I had not got this muscle wasting, I would have, certainly been given the sack but what had happened my um, muscle wasting affected my hips and I just couldn't walk properly instead of what from where I walked to my car usually took five minutes and actually took me 20 minutes that night it was was terrible and mind you my work colleagues didn't help me (laughs) no I'm sure Uh, I don't blame them yes yeah, it was pretty hard because I'd lost my ability to, you know, that independence then because I couldn't drive, couldn't walk far. No, So no. it really hit me Started to become head. dependent on other people, yes. yes. Yes, and they didn't want me around. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Um, I'm talking to Kestrel and Kate about recovering from the effects of alcoholism through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so... Kate, when did you get the idea that AA might help you? When did you first get the idea that AA might help you? I'd rung them in 2007 and gone to a meeting. I went to one meeting and I had still been drinking then. But after the meeting, I really felt an affinity with everybody I spoke with afterwards. Um, I didn't hear anything yeah, so that was on my mind, and I'd also rung them a couple of times before I finally rang up and said, I need to come to AA, where is the nearest meeting? I was petrified. So, um, yeah, so when I went to a meeting, um, I was just, I actually listened to what the people said, and I identified with what they said. And um, they said, we know there's someone new in the room and I didn't put up my hand. I was, um, to this day, I thought that the walls were red and the ceiling were black. They've always been white. Um, But that's how nervous I was. I was petrified. I looked in the carpet and thought, what am I doing in a place like this? 
Yeah. What have I sunk to? <laughs> <laughs> it was really what have I sunk to, yes. A lot of shame, heaps of shame. Mm. I was convinced that I could do this, I could manage it, I could control my drinking. Yeah. So did you come back? I was, yeah, I went to AA. I was, came back the next day. I had somebody actually ring me because this time, um, you know, I gave phone numbers and this lady had given me a Just For Today card and she said, Hiya, Kate, it's so-and-so. You haven't had a drink? And I said, no. And she said, you've got the Just For Today card? Have you read it? And I said, yes. And she said, what do you think? And I said, I just feel like drinking. She said, well, don't have a drink. Go to a meeting tonight. And that's what I did. Okay. So what what sort of changed your outlook, do you think? Well, because I, I was finally having muscle wasting. That was the last straw because I could no longer pretend I didn't have a problem anymore. Um, I denied a lot of my mental and spiritual um, sickness, but my physical one that was... You know, my mum had been on a walking frame and I just saw, well, that's where I was going to end up. Um, I had some really strange ideas when I was drinking that I was going to leave my family home and get a housing commission in Brunswick Street, drink out of a paper bag and end up in the gutter. That's where I saw my life as going. And, um, yeah, I just, when the realisation that, hey, this physical uh, wasting, isn't this isn't fun at all, yeah, I think I had a bit of a, a spiritual awakening because the last bottle I had, I looked at it and I I think there was about a glass left. I looked at it and said, I am beaten. Mm. I just can't do this anymore. And it was a sincere from the, from the gut, from the heart, from the hole that I felt inside. I just can't do it anymore. Okay. Um, Kestrel, um, in um, um, rehab, you... You met sober alcoholics who were trying to help you to understand what the problem was. Yeah. And what what do you think was the thing that sparked you into, you know, realising that there was a possibility that things could improve? I think just meeting people that when they shared their stories with me and I heard that they drank like I did and now they didn't, I got... I got very curious as to how they were doing it, how they were doing life sober. You know, how was it that they had all these years of sobriety? Even if it was just one year, I remember thinking, oh my God, they haven't had a drink for a year. <laughs> oh my God, how do they do that? And um, I just got a lot of hope. And, uh, you know, I learned about the disease of alcoholism, so which was amazing because I, I knew I was an alcoholic, but I realised that I didn't actually know what an alcoholic was. Yeah, yeah, most people don't, no. Yeah, yeah. and um, the, one of the first things I heard was that it was a progressive disease and I loved that because I couldn't understand what had gone wrong with me in my life because I'd always drank very heavily, you know, and uh, I couldn't understand why I wasn't getting the same effects as before and why I wasn't able to, to cope anymore. And um, it was just, you know, it was very simple, you know. My life seemed like extraordinary and all these terrible things, but really it was very textbook, you know, very textbook alcoholic experience. Yep. 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 Which is a bit tragic, isn't it? Very. <laughs> Thinking you're so yeah. damn different. Yes. Textbook alcoholic. Oh, yeah, I'm in the book. <laughs> yeah. So what does AA mean to you today? Uh, it's everything to me. I um, 
you know, I remember being told in rehab to make recovery number one in your life and then everything else will be okay if, you know, if it comes first. And, um, you know, I've just clung to that. I, um, I wouldn't be able to stay sober without AA. Um, rehab definitely got me sober initially and gave me the hope and gave me the understanding about alcoholism and provided me the solution. But yeah. to actually go back out into the world and live... Um, You've got to change, yeah. Yes. yes. And, yeah. Uh, you know, to just go to meetings, I try to go to, you know, four or five meetings a week and um, that's where I meet other people like me and, you know, keep it fresh in my mind, you know, where I've came come from and make sure I don't ever go back there. Okay. Um, I think one of the other things too was that uh, we were talking earlier and you were saying that you thought you'd have to do something really drastic. Yes. I, um, you know, I thought, I remember someone saying, you know, I think it says it in the big book about something about a drastic proposal. And this is when I'm starting to think I want to live sober. And um, I'm thinking, what is this drastic proposal? And I'm waiting to hear something that's very drastic that I'm going to have to do for, you know, enable, to enable me to live sober. And then I found out, you know, it's not, it's not that much, you know. <laughs> well, it, didn't, not- it didn't seem that drastic to me anyway. <laughs> I thought I can do these things. They said you get a high, you know, you get, let the higher power into your life, connect with your higher power, get a home group, get a sponsor, work the steps. And I was like, I will do those things. I will do anything. I, at that point, you know, mm. just make sure I didn't go back to the way I was living. You know, there really, if there had been very drastic things suggested, I really would have done them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, Kate, um, what were the hardest things for you getting sober? Um, I couldn't have done it without AA. Um, yeah, the family weren't... They'd sort of given up on me, so I think that yeah. was the hardest because um, sometimes I used to hear about people and as soon as they got to AA, they got their families straight back. Yeah. And um, that didn't happen for me, but I was loved back to life with the AA members and that gave me so much hope real lot of hope um you know my husband there's alcohol at home and um you know one time he came up to me and he'd had a few drinks and he had an open bottle he said go on drink it drink it and you know I I didn't because I'd learned about the spiritual tools in AA I knew what to do and um, I read about wonderful things like, um, you know, when tempted, recoil as if it was a hot flame. So that's how I saw alcohol, you know, recoil, get away, get away and ring a sponsor. You know, I've just that, that support and the example of other people, old, you know, who share their experience and their strength and their hope and how things are for them today. I just had that gift of desperation and I wanted what they have Mm, what they had so I went after it yes and I got in the middle of AA because it was really important they pointed out that if you're not haven't got a homes group and you haven't got a sponsor and you're not in the middle of AA you can get just fall off if you're on the outskirts and um, I just didn't want that to happen no no not a not a good idea no No. (laughs) so have you has your family come back yeah, well, it was amazing. I had um, a year off work and I had leave without pay and the boss accepted me back, which was wonderful. Um, my daughter, she welcomed me um, through marriage and the birth of her baby and she trusts me with her beautiful grandson um, between three and five days a week. Um, my son, I've, um, you know, it's taken 
it's taken time because I betrayed his his trust and his um, what he thought of me, and I'm just so wrapped today that that trust has come back, and um, I can uh, be there in his life as well. And with my husband, you know, that's just a day at a time. He's lost his drinking partner, but you know, it's, yeah. we're getting to know one another. So, yeah, it's all it's all good. It's wonderful. I didn't, and I could not dream that it would happen. It's yeah, wonderful, wonderful. I, I'm really grateful to AA because without going to AA, um, that whole identification in meetings, it reminds me where I have come from. And I've heard someone say that we have a forgettery and I never, ever want to forget where I've been because as an alcoholic, I have lost my choice of whether I'm going to drink or not. And I really learned in AA the big thing of, I can obsess in my thinking about I want to have a drink, I want to have a drink, I don't want to drink, I want to drink, I want to drink, that whole game that I played. And then when I finally picked up, then my bodily craving would take over. And I, I learned in AA that, you know, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I have a disease, I'm a sick person. And that's what that bodily craving is. And I s- explained to my husband in early days, if I had diabetes and I needed insulin, well, diabetes is a disease. My alcoholism is a disease. My meetings and the program of AA is my insulin. And that's what I need on a day-to-day, um, you know, um, day-to-day thing that I have to do because I have that reprieve for the just for that 24 hours and I'm eternally grateful for that. Mm. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Um, so, Kestrel relationships and, and family and friends, have you been able to reconnect I'm trying, yeah. Yeah. I find that um, relationships is probably the most difficult part of life for me in some ways because I'm so disconnected. Um, I've been sober two years now and um, I heard someone say that connection is the opposite to addiction and I've really been feeling that lately because, you know, as a sober woman now, I um, I have no practice in real terms of how to... How connect, live, yeah. yeah, how to live and how yeah. to connect with people because I always did it through alcohol. So it's a, a very beautiful ongoing journey. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. Lo- it really is. Yeah, yeah, and it's very worthwhile because um, the whole thing about um, recovery programs is getting you back to life. Yeah, back to living in the normal world instead of this unusual world that we we tend to inhabit in the drinking and drugging sort of thing. Um, so what about work then? Are you enjoying yes, I am. Yeah. I'm working. I've been working for uh, over a year now and I've never had a sick day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now one of those people. So that's amazing. <laughs> Calling yeah. in sick is now a thing of the past. Right. Yes. And I think we were talking earlier about... Um, Shout outs to all the girls at work if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, people often think with alcoholics and uh, that drinking's the problem. But it's not the problem, is it? No. no. And I remember hearing that when I was in rehab, um, getting told that drinking isn't the problem, it's the thinking. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, is it the thinking? Oh, no. <laughs> because how do you change a lifetime of thinking? But the truth is is that once you've changed your actions, you know, your thinking changes too. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And thought precedes action. So, you know, it's your first thought that really gets you into trouble It's or, or acting on your first thought instead of thinking again. (laughs) 
if uh, you'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, then you can phone them on one three hundred two 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 two, or you can go online at aa.org.au. Um, so we've got a minute or so of the show uh, to go before we've got to sort of close out. So people often talk about gratitude in AA. So what are some of the things? So Kestrel, what are some of the things you're grateful for in AA? I'm grateful for my sobriety, number one. Yep. Um, I'm grateful to AA for being there. I'm grateful to my sponsor who's had a spiritual awakening and is taking me through the steps and showing me that there's a solution to my head and that I can live free. Yeah, life's, life's not too hard. Yeah. No, and it's, yeah. it can be better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thanks. How about you, Kate? Oh, look, I'm, I'm so grat- grateful for the, um, for the AA program because it's taught me, well, it's taught me to live again. Um, it's, it's taught me to feel confident, um, you know, in healthy doses. helped me to, oh, look, just to be able to communicate with people I, and learning to be, um, you know, because it was such a dysfunctional upbringing that I had. So I'm... I'm learning life's like I had no instruction book. I'm learning how to live life, how to be a normal functioning society member who actually has learnt to give. So I think the giving is really important for me. And colours. When I got sober, I saw colours I'd never seen them before. Yeah. I'm so grateful to be present. You know, whether it's the cold mornings or the the sunshine. In the new people to meet, the new meetings to go to, I'm grateful to have recovered physically so I can now walk long distances, I can drive and, you know, do all the things, roll around the floor with my grandson and, yeah, yeah <laughs> those things. And I'm grateful to the higher power that, um, you know, took away my craving of alcohol. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Thank you. Uh, Wilson, um, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank um, Kestrel and Kate for coming to the 3CR studio and sharing their uh, Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be joined by Emma and Keandra, who are members of Narcotics Anonymous.